Chapter Six of the Old Regime in Canada by Francis Parkman, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, sixteen sixty to sixteen sixty one, the heroes of the Long Sault. Canada had writhed for twenty years with little respite under the scourge of Iroquois war during a great part of this dark period the entire french population was less than three thousand what then saved them from destruction in the first place the settlements were grouped around three fortified posts quebec three rivers and montreal which in time of danger gave asylum to the fugitive inhabitants again their assailants were continually distracted by other wars and never except at a few spasmodic intervals were fully in earnest to destroy the french colony canada was indispensable to them the four upper nations of the league soon became dependent on her for supplies and all the nations alike appear at a very early period to have conceived the policy on which they afterwards distinctly acted of balancing the rival settlements of the hudson and the st lawrence the one against the other they would torture but not kill it was but rarely that in fits of fury they struck their hatchets at the brain and thus the bleeding and gasping colony lingered on in torment the seneschal of new france son of the governor lauzon was surprised and killed on the island of orleans along with seven companions about the same time the same fate befell the son of godefroy one of the chief inhabitants of quebec outside the fortifications there was no safety for a moment a universal terror seized the people a comet appeared above quebec and they saw in it a herald of destruction their excited imaginations turned natural phenomena into portents and prodigies a blazing canoe sailed across the sky confused cries and lamentations were heard in the air and a voice of thunder sounded from mid-heaven the jesuits despaired for their scattered and persecuted flocks everywhere writes their superior we see infants to be saved for heaven sick and dying to be baptized adults to be instructed but everywhere we see the iroquois they haunt us like persecuting goblins they kill our new-made christians in our arms if they meet us on the river they kill us if they find us in the huts of our indians they burn us and them together and he appeals urgently for troops to destroy them as a holy work inspired by god and needful for his service canada was still a mission and the influence of the church was paramount and pervading at quebec as at montreal the war with the iroquois was regarded as a war with the hosts of satan of the settlers cabins scattered along the shores above and below quebec many were provided with small iron cannon made probably by blacksmiths in the colony 
but they had also other protectors in each was an image of the virgin or some patron saint and every morning the pious settler knelt before the shrine to beg the protection of a celestial hand in his perilous labours of the forest or the farm when in the summer of sixteen fifty eight the young vicomte d'argenson came to assume the thankless task of governing the colony the iroquois war was at its height on the day after his arrival he was washing his hands before seating himself at dinner in the hall of the chateau st louis when cries of alarm were heard and he was told that the iroquois were close at hand in fact they were so near that their war-whoops and the screams of their victims could plainly be heard argenson left his guests and with such a following as he could muster at the moment hastened to the rescue but the assailants were too nimble for him the forests which grew at that time around quebec favoured them both in attack and retreat after a year or two of experience he wrote urgently to the court for troops he adds that what with the demands of the harvest and the unmilitary character of many of the settlers the colony could not furnish more than a hundred men for offensive operations a vigorous aggressive war he insists is absolutely necessary and this not only to save the colony but to save the only true faith for to borrow his own words it is this colony alone which has the honour to be in the communion of the holy church everywhere else reigns the doctrine of england or holland to which i can give no other name because there are as many creeds as there are subjects who embrace them they do not care in the least whether the iroquois and the other savages of this country have or have not a knowledge of the true god or else they are so malicious as to inject the venom of their errors into souls incapable of distinguishing the truth of the gospel from the falsehoods of heresy and hence it is plain that religion has its sole support in the french colony and that if this colony is in danger religion is equally in danger among the most interesting memorials of the time are two letters written by Françoise Hertel, a youth of eighteen, captured at Three Rivers, and carried to the Mohawk towns in the summer of 1661. He belonged to one of the best families of Canada, and was the favourite child of his mother, to whom the second of the two letters is addressed. The first is to the Jesuit Le Moyne, who had gone to Onondaga, in july of that year to effect the release of french prisoners in accordance with the terms of a truce both letters were written on birch bark my reverend father the very day when you left three rivers i was captured at about three in the afternoon by four iroquois of the mohawk tribe i would not have been taken alive if to my sorrow i had not feared that I was not in a fit state to die. If you came here, my father, I could have the happiness of confessing to you, and I do not think they would do you any harm, and I think that I could return home with you. 
i pray you to pity my poor mother who is in great trouble you know my father how fond she is of me i have heard from a frenchman who was taken at three rivers on the first of august that she is well and comforts herself with the hope that i shall see you there are three of us frenchmen alive here i commend myself to your good prayers and particularly to the holy sacrifice of the mass i pray you my father to say a mass for me i pray you give my dutiful love to my poor mother and console her if it pleases you my father i beg your blessing on the hand that writes to you which has one of the fingers burned in the bowl of an indian pipe to satisfy the majesty of god which i have offended the thumb of the other hand is cut off but do not tell my mother of it my father i pray you to honour me with a word from your hand in reply and tell me if you shall come here before winter your most humble and most obedient service françoise hertel the following is a letter to his mother sent probably with the other to the charge of le moyne my most dear and honoured mother i know very well that my capture must have distressed you very much i ask you to forgive my disobedience it is my sins that have placed me where i am i owe my life to your prayers and those of monsieur de saint quentin and of my sisters i hope to see you again before winter i pray to tell you the good brethren of notre dame to pray to god and the holy virgin for me dear mother and for you and all my sisters your poor fanchon this no doubt was the name by which she had called him familiarly when a child and who was this fanchon this devout and tender son of a fond mother new england can answer to her cost when twenty-nine years later a band of french and indians issued from the forest and fell upon the fort and settlement of salmon falls it was Françoise hertel who led the attack and when the retiring victors were hard pressed by an overwhelming force it was he who sword in hand held the pursuers in check at the bridge of worcester river and covered the retreat of his men he was ennobled for his services and died at the age of eighty the founder of one of the most distinguished families of canada to the new england of old he was the abhorred chief of popish malignants and murdering savages the new england of to-day will be more just to the brave defender of his country and his faith in may sixteen sixty a party of french algonquins captured a wolf or mohegan indian naturalized among the iroquois brought him to quebec and burned him there with their usual atrocity of torture a modern catholic writer says that the jesuits could not save him but this is not so their influence over the consciences of the colonists was at that time unbounded and their direct political power was very great a protest on their part and that of the newly arrived bishop who was in their interest could not have failed of effect the truth was 
they did not care to prevent the torture of prisoners of war not solely out of that spirit of compliance with the savage humour of indian allies which stains so often the pages of french american history but also and perhaps chiefly from motives purely religious torture in their eyes seems to have been a blessing in disguise they thought it good for the soul and in case of obduracy the surest way of salvation we have very rarely indeed writes one of them seen the burning of an iroquois without feeling sure that he was on the path to paradise and we never knew one of them to be surely on the path to paradise without seeing him pass through this fiery punishment so they let the wolf burn but first having instructed him after their fashion they baptized him and his savage soul flew to heaven out of the fire is it not pursues the same writer a marvel to see a wolf changed at one stroke into a lamb and enter into the fold of christ which he came to ravage before he died he requited their spiritual cares with a startling secret he told them that eight hundred iroquois warriors were encamped below montreal that four hundred more who had wintered on the ottawa were on the point of joining them and that the united force would swoop upon quebec kill the governor lay waste to the town and then attack three rivers and montreal this time at least the iroquois were in deadly earnest quebec was wild with terror the ursulines and the nuns of the hotel dieu took refuge in the strong and extensive building which the jesuits had just finished opposite the parish church its walls and palisades made it easy of defence and in its yards and court were lodged the terrified hurons as well as the fugitive inhabitants of the neighbouring settlements others found asylum in the fort and others in the convent of the ursulines which in place of nuns was occupied by twenty-four soldiers who fortified it with redoubts and barricaded the doors and windows similar measures of defence were taken at the hotel dieu and the streets of the lower town were strongly barricaded everybody was in arms and the qui vive of the sentries and patrols sounded all night several days passed and no iroquois appeared the refugees took heart and began to return to their deserted farms and dwellings among the rest was a family consisting of an old woman her daughter her son-in-law and four small children living near st anne some twenty miles below quebec on reaching home the old woman and the man went to their work in the fields while the mother and the children remained in the house here they were pounced upon and captured by eight renegade hurons iroquois by adoption who placed them in their large canoe and paddled up the river with their prize it was saturday a day dedicated to the virgin and the captive mother prayed to her for aid feeling writes a jesuit a full conviction that in passing before quebec on a saturday she would be delivered by the power of this queen of heaven in fact 
as the marauders and their captives glided in the darkness of night by point levi under the shadow of the shore they were greeted with a volley of musketry from the bushes and a band of french and algonquins dashed into the water to seize them five of the eight were taken and the rest shot or drowned the governor had heard of the descent at st anne and dispatched a party to lie in ambush for the authors of it the jesuits it is needless to say saw a miracle in the result the virgin had answered the prayer of her votary though it is true observes the father who records the marvel that in the volley she received a mortal wound the same shot struck the infant in her arms the prisoners were taken to quebec where four of them were tortured with even more ferocity than had been shown in the case of the unfortunate wolf being questioned they confirmed his story and expressed great surprise that the iroquois had not come adding that they must have stopped to attack montreal or three rivers again all was terror and again days passed and no enemy appeared had the dying converts so charitably dispatched to heaven through fire sought an unhallowed consultation in scaring the abettors of their torture with a lie not at all bating a slight exaggeration they had told the truth where then were the iroquois as one small point of steel disarms the lightning of its terrors so did the heroism of a few intrepid youths divert this storm of war and save canada from a possible ruin in the preceding april before the designs of the iroquois were known a young officer named daulac commandant of the garrison of montreal asked leave of maisonneuve the governor to lead a party of volunteers against the enemy his plan was bold to desperation it was known that iroquois warriors in great numbers had wintered among the forests of the ottawa Delac proposed to waylay them on their descent of the river and fight them without regard to disparity of force the settlers of montreal had hitherto acted solely on the defensive for their numbers had been too small for aggressive war of late their strength had been somewhat increased and maisonneuve judging that a display of enterprise and boldness might act as a check on the audacity of the enemy at length gave his consent adam daulac or dollard sieur des ormeaux was a young man of good family who had come to the colony three years before at the age of twenty-two he had held some military command in france though in what rank does not appear it is said that he had been involved in some affair which made him anxious to wipe out the memory of the past by a noteworthy exploit and he had been busy for some time among the young men of montreal inviting them to join him in the enterprise he meditated sixteen of them caught his spirit struck hands with him and pledged their word they bound themselves by oath to accept no quarter and having gained maisonneuve's consent they made their wills confessed and received the sacraments 
as they knelt for the last time before the altar in the chapel of the hotel dieu that sturdy little population of pious indian fighters gazed on them with enthusiasm not unmixed with an envy which had in it nothing ignoble some of the chief men of montreal with the brave charles le moyne at their head begged them to wait till the spring sowing was over that they might join them but daulac refused he was jealous of the glory and the danger and he wished to command which he could not have done had le moyne been present the spirit of the enterprise was purely medieval the enthusiasm of honour the enthusiasm of adventure and the enthusiasm of faith were its motive forces daulac was a knight of the early crusades among the forests and savages of the new world yet the incidents of this exotic heroism are definite and clear as a tale of yesterday the names ages and occupations of the seventeen young men may still be read on the ancient register of the parish of montreal and the notarial acts of that year preserved in the records of the city contain minute accounts of such property as each of them possessed the three eldest were of twenty-eight thirty and thirty-one years respectively the age of the rest varied from twenty-one to twenty-seven they were of various callings soldiers armourers locksmiths lime-burners or settlers without trades the greater number had come to the colony as part of the reinforcement brought by Maisonneuve in sixteen fifty eight after a solemn farewell they embarked in several canoes well supported with arms and ammunition they were very indifferent canoemen and it is said they lost a week in vain attempts to pass the swift current of st anne at the head of the island of montreal at length they were more successful and entering the mouth of the ottawa crossed the lake of two mountains and slowly advanced against the current meanwhile forty warriors of that remnant of the hurons who in spite of iroquois persecutions still lingered at quebec had set out on a war party led by the brave and wily etienne anahotaha their most noted chief they stopped by the way at three rivers where they found a band of christian algonquins under a chief named mituvameg anahotaha challenged him to a trial of courage and it was agreed that they should meet at montreal where they were likely to find a speedy opportunity of putting their mettle to the test thither accordingly they repaired the algonquin with three followers and the huron with thirty-nine it was not long before they learned of the departure of daulac and his companions for observes the honest dolière de casson the principal fault of our frenchmen is to talk too much the wish seized them to share the adventure and to that end the huron chief asked the governor for a letter to daulac to serve as credentials maisonneuve hesitated his faith in huron valour was not great and he feared the proposed alliance nevertheless he at length yielded so far as to give 
Anahotaha a letter in which Dolak was told to accept or reject the proffered reinforcement as he should see fit. The Hurons and Algonquins now embarked and paddled in pursuit of the seventeen Frenchmen. They meanwhile had passed with difficulty the swift current at Carillon, and about the first of May reached the foot of the more formidable rapid called the Long Soat, where a tumult of waters, foaming among ledges and boulders, barred the onward way. It was needless to go farther. The Iroquois were sure to pass the Soat, and could be fought here as well as elsewhere just below the rapid where the forests sloped gently to the shore among the bushes and stumps of the rough clearing made in constructing it stood a palisade fort the work of an algonquin war party in the past autumn it was a mere enclosure of trunks of small trees planted in a circle and was already ruinous such as it was the frenchmen took possession of it their first care, one would think, should have been to repair and strengthen it, but this they seem not to have done. Possibly, in the exaltation of their minds, they scorned such precaution. They made their fires and slung their kettles on the neighboring shore, and here they were soon joined by the Hurons and Alconquins. Dolac, it seems, made no objection to their company and they all bivouacked together morning and noon and night they prayed in three different tongues and when at sunset the long reach of forests on the farther shore basked peacefully in the level rays the rapids joined their hoarse music to the notes of their evening hymn in a day or two their scouts came in with tidings that two iroquois canoes were coming down the soap Dulac had time to set his men in ambush along the bushes at a point where he thought the strangers likely to land. He judged aright. The canoes bearing five Iroquois approached and were met with a volley fired with such precipitation that one or more of them escaped the shot, fled into the forest, and told their mischance to their main body, two hundred in number on the river above a fleet of canoes suddenly appeared bounding down the rapids filled with warriors eager for revenge the allies had barely time to escape to their fort leaving their kettles still slung over the fires the iroquois made a hasty and desultory attack and were quickly repulsed they next opened a parley hoping, no doubt, to gain some advantage by surprise. Failing in this, they set themselves, after their custom on such occasions, to building a rude fort of their own in the neighboring forest. This gave the French a breathing time, and they used it for strengthening their defenses. Being provided with tools, they planted a row of stakes within their palisade to form a double fence, and filled the intervening space with earth and stones to the height of a man, leaving some twenty loopholes, at each of which three marksmen were stationed. Their work was still unfinished when the Iroquois were upon them again. 
they had broken to pieces the birch canoes of the french and their allies and kindling the bark rushed up to pilot blazing against the palisade but so brisk and steady a fire met them that they recoiled and at last gave way they came on again and again were driven back leaving many of their number on the ground among them the principal chief of the senecas some of the french dashed out and covered by the fire of their comrades hacked off his head and stuck it on the palisade while the iroquois howled in a frenzy of helpless rage they tried another attack and were beaten off a third time this dashed their spirits and they sent a canoe to call to their aid five hundred of their warriors who were mustered near the mouth of the richelieu these were the allies whom but for this untoward check they were on their way to join for a combined attack in quebec three rivers and montreal it was maddening to see their grand project thwarted by a few french and indians ensconced in a paltry redoubt scarcely better than a cattle pen but they were forced to digest the affront as best they might meanwhile crouched behind trees and logs they beset the fort harassing its defenders day and night with a spattering fire and a constant menace of attack thus five days passed hunger thirst and want of sleep wrought fatally on the strength of the french and their allies who pent up together in their narrow prison fought and prayed by turns deprived as they were of water they could not swallow the crushed indian corn or hominy which was their only food some of them under cover of a brisk fire ran down to the river and filled such small vessels as they had but this pittance only tantalized their thirst they dug a hole in the fort and were rewarded at last by a little muddy water oozing through the clay among the assailants were a number of hurons adopted by the iroquois and fighting on their side these renegades now shouted to their countrymen in the fort telling them that a fresh army was close at hand that they would soon be attacked by seven or eight hundred warriors and that their only hope was in joining the iroquois who would receive them as friends anahotaha's followers half dead with thirst and famine listened to their seducers took the bait and one two or three at a time climbed the palisade and ran over to the enemy amid the hootings and execrations of those whom they deserted their chief stood firm and when he saw his nephew lamouche join the other fugitives he fired his pistol at him in a rage the four algonquins who had no mercy to hope for stood fast with the courage of despair on the fifth day an uproar of unearthly yells from seven hundred savage throats mingled with a clattering salute of musketry told the frenchmen that the expected reinforcement had come and soon in the forest and on the clearing a crowd of warriors mustered for the attack knowing from the huron deserters the weakness of their enemy they had no doubt of an easy victory they advanced cautiously as was usual with the iroquois before their blood was up screeching 
leaping from side to side and firing as they came on but the french were at their posts and every loophole darted its tongue of fire besides muskets they had heavy musketoons of large calibre which scattering scraps of lead and iron among the throng of savages often maimed several of them at one discharge the iroquois astonished at the persistent vigour of the defence fell back discomfited the fire of the french who were themselves completely under cover had told upon them with deadly effect three days more wore away in a series of futile attacks made with little concert or vigour and during all this time daulac and his men reeling with exhaustion fought and prayed as before sure of a martyr's reward the uncertain vacillating temper common to all indians now began to declare itself some of the iroquois were for going home others revolted at the thought and declared that it would be an eternal disgrace to lose so many men at the hands of so paltry an enemy and yet fail to take revenge it was resolved to make a general assault and volunteers were called for to lead the attack after the custom on such occasions bundles of small sticks were thrown upon the ground and those picked them up who dared thus accepting the gauge of battle and enrolling themselves in the forlorn hope no precaution was neglected large and heavy shields four or five feet high were made by lashing together three split logs with the aid of crossbars covering themselves with these mantelets the chosen band advanced followed by the motley throng of warriors in spite of a brisk fire they reached the palisade and crouching below the range of shot hewed furiously with their hatchets to cut their way through the rest followed close and swarmed like angry hornets around the little fort hacking and tearing to get in daulac had crammed a large musketoon with powder and plugged up the muzzle lighting the fuse inserted in it he tried to throw it over the barrier to burst like a grenade among the crowd of savages without but it struck the ragged top of one of the palisades fell back among the frenchmen and exploded killing and wounding several of them and nearly blinding others in the confusion that followed the iroquois got possession of the loopholes and thrusting in their guns fired on those within in a moment more they had torn a breach in the palisade but nerved with the energy of desperation daulac and his followers sprang to defend it another breach was made and then another daulac was struck dead but the survivors kept up the fight with a sword or a hatchet in one hand and a knife in the other they threw themselves among the throng of enemies striking and stabbing with the fury of madmen till the iroquois despairing of taking them alive fired volley after volley and shot them down all was over and a burst of triumphant yells proclaimed the dear-bought victory searching the pile of corpses the victors found four frenchmen still breathing three had scarcely a spark of life and as no time was to be lost they burned them on the spot the fourth less fortunate seemed likely to survive 
and they reserved him for future torments as for the huron deserters their cowardice profited them little the iroquois regardless of their promises fell upon them burned some at once and carried the rest to their villages for a similar fate five of the number had the good fortune to escape and it was from them aided by admissions made long afterwards by the iroquois themselves that the french of canada derived all their knowledge of this glorious disaster to the colony it proved a salvation the iroquois had had fighting enough if seventeen frenchmen four algonquins and one huron behind a picket fence could hold seven hundred warriors at bay so long what might they expect from many such fighting behind walls of stone for that year they thought no more of capturing quebec and montreal but went home dejected and amazed to howl over their losses and nurse their dashed courage for a day of vengeance End of chapter 6